This audio is a presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com. you please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. We will finish today Genesis 29. We will start at verse 31, and then we will continue on into chapter 30 through verse 24. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said, Here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I also may have children by her. And she gave him Bilhah, her maid, his wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, A troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. 
Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless it in our hearing. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word today, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would prepare our hearts and minds to receive it, even as it tells us many difficult things concerning your people, concerning the history of the family of the faithful and the people of God. I pray that even as we see sin and the things it destroys and the troubles that it causes, we would also see shown forth your grace and the hope that we have in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, if you are married, or if not, imagine that you are married, and imagine having to share your wife or your husband with another person. This is not a thought that anyone would particularly want to entertain. There are reasons that these things are not practiced. They testify against God's created order that one man and one woman ought to live together in the lifelong covenantal bond of marriage. These deviations from this design are proven foolish when they are tried. We've seen many examples in Scripture, even in Genesis, where plural marriage always produces bitter fruit. There always ends up being this rivalry, this playing of favorites with some wives and some children, and the neglect and mistreatment of others every time. We can think back to Abraham earlier in Genesis and all the hardship that came when Sarah concocted her scheme that Abraham should take her maidservant Hagar as a second wife and have a son by her. That plot produced much difficulty and heartbreak as Ishmael came as a rival son to Isaac, who would come later as the son of promise, and Hagar and Sarah would become rivals until the situation became so unbearable that Hagar and Ishmael finally had to be banished. They had to be sent into exile. And even then, that created a situation where there was a woman dwelling without her husband and a son without a father. Another tragedy and difficulty that this sin and deviation produced. Now Isaac, for his part seemed to be someone in the family of faith who understood the problems with this multiplying of wives and concubines and children by them. Because it is not recorded for us that he took other wives or concubines unlike his father and unlike his sons. Likely for him, that memory of Hagar and Ishmael would have been fresh. But just another generation later, Isaac's sons have forgotten because Esau is again practicing plural marriage 
when he married the two Canaanite wives who were in affliction and torment and grief to his parents. And then later he took a third wife from the house of Ishmael in an attempt to appease them. But now Jacob is in a similar perilous situation. Now this was not entirely Jacob's doing. We saw last week how much of this was attributable to the treachery of his uncle, who was now also his father-in-law twice over, Laban. Jacob had loved Rachel. He had intended to to marry Rachel, and he labored seven whole years to marry Rachel, only for Laban to pull a switcheroo on his wedding night and Jacob to wake up and find himself married to Leah. Rather than accept this bitter providence, Jacob then immediately turns around and marries Rachel anyway, only after agreeing to labor for Laban another seven years. There was just bad deals being made all around. Last week I mentioned that we could begin to see and begin to imagine some of the difficulties that this suddenly very crowded and complicated family dynamic would produce. Well, this week we don't have to imagine because we see it play out in rather gory detail. In fact, for the rest of Genesis, we will see recurring the issues that this rivalry between Jacob's wives and by extension Jacob's sons, all the problems that is going to produce. Now, this is not to say that God is not working. God purposes to multiply Jacob into a great nation, and that will happen. These sons will become tribes. They will become the tribes of Israel. Despite all the sin and difficulty and pain and resentment to follow, God will ultimately use this for his glory and for the good of his people. Even these struggles will be instrumental in Jacob's long walk of sanctification as he is turned from a weak and wayward deceiver into a father among the faithful. So today's text tells us about the birth of 11 of Jacob's 12 sons and the circumstances under which they are born. It's not a pretty picture. It's quite a messy and complicated picture. We will look at it today in four points. First, we see consolation in verses 31 through 35. It is the unloved wife, the disfavored wife, who will first receive the blessing of children. Then second, we see compromise in verses 1 through 8. This development of Leah having children produces a move of desperate retaliation by Rachel, which spins further this web of sin. And third, we see corruption in verses 9 through 21. Still another concubine is added. More compromise comes, and it brings more discord and conflicts. But then finally, a measure of comfort in verses 22 through 24 of chapter 30. Rachel finally has a son of her own. So consolation, compromise, corruption, and comfort. Those are our four points for this morning. So first we look at consolation in verses 31 through 35. This plural marriage arrangement into which Jacob has entered produces some predictable problems. Because Jacob had always intended to marry Rachel, he loved Rachel, but he did not love Leah. 
while it was treachery on the part of Laban that produced this situation, Jacob, for his part, was not helping. He was playing favorites. As he was now married to two wives, and there was at this point no going back, he had a duty to love and care for both of them, a duty at which he seems to fall down rather quickly and regularly. He doesn't love Leah. It seems by all accounts he never loves Leah. And one could imagine what a difficult situation this puts her in. She got roped into her father's evil scheme. We don't see that she had any say in it. She probably didn't. Suddenly she's trapped for the rest of her life in a loveless marriage. And oh, by the way, her rival wife is also her younger sister. So her father and her sister and her husband, by all accounts, are all set against her. And there's nothing she can do. But there is something that God can do. And God does it. In verse 31, we see that the Lord recognizes Leah's plight. He sees and knows that she is unloved and that all around her are perpetuating this evil against her. And so God gives her something which he withholds from Rachel. Children. Leah is able to conceive children and bear children for a time while Rachel is not. Now, while this will only serve to embitter Rachel and will cause her to act wrongly further on, it is a blessing and a favor and a help to Leah, who seems to have everyone who ought to love her and care for her set against her. Leah conceives and bears Jacob's firstborn son, Reuben. Now, the names that are given to these sons reflects the realities of the situation into which they are born, or at least hope for what their birth means. Their names are given, but also the meaning behind them. So Reuben is born and so named because Leah says that the Lord has surely looked on her affliction. God has provided for Leah even in this difficult and heartbreaking situation. Of course, there is also a misplaced expectation. Leah thinks that now that she is the mother of Jacob's firstborn son, Jacob will now love her. That doesn't happen. But she will continue to bear children. The second is Simeon. And again, Leah believes that because Simeon is now born, Jacob will love her. Still doesn't seem to help the situation. Leah remains unloved. A third son is born, Levi. Leah thinks that maybe now Jacob will finally become attached to her and have affection for her. Still no. She will have one more son in this group, Judah. With this, her response changes a little bit. She says, now I will praise the Lord. She thinks that perhaps because of the Lord's provision, her trouble and affliction is over. Now, it is worth noting that at every birth here, Leah is acknowledging the presence and the power and the work of God. For whatever else she might have lacked in the eyes of her husband or others, she seems to be generally pious and faithful to God. She believes in God and acknowledges that the good things that she receives are from Him. It is also worth noting that two of these four sons in this first group will carry very important future implications for the people of Israel. 
Reuben and Simeon, the first two, they will turn to violence in a future episode, so the greater blessings will pass them by. But Levi and Judah will hold very important places. Levi will be the father of the priests of Israel and the other Levites who will be set apart for the service of the Lord. And Judah will be the father of the kings. Though the first king of Israel will be Saul, a Benjaminite. We'll learn about Benjamin later. David and the kings descended from David, they are from the tribe of Judah. And most importantly, Jesus will be born of the line of David, the lion from the tribe of Judah. This tells us that God is no respecter of persons. God does not favor or disfavor people according to the categories or preferences or practices of men. We see this often throughout Scripture. We've seen it in how God often chooses younger sons to carry forth blessings of the covenant family. We saw this with Isaac. We've seen it again with Jacob. We see it later in the Bible, for instance, with David, the youngest of the sons of Jesse, and yet he becomes the great king. Leah, in human categories, is in a position of great weakness. She is, for whatever reason, unattractive to Jacob and unloved by him. This is also severely complicated and damaged her relationship with her sister and probably also her father. But she is loved by God. And God sets his blessings and provision upon her. Let these be words of comfort to any of you who are living in situations where the world, where circumstances, where the people around you have disfavored you, deserted you, or discarded you. God sees and God knows. God loves and blesses his children who trust in him even when they are confronted with difficulty and sorrow. He provides comfort and consolation. But after consolation, we come to our second point, which takes us into chapter 30, compromise, which we see there in verses 1 through 8. As we turn to chapter 30, we find that not everyone is happy with the development of the birth of these sons to Leah. In fact, Rachel, the rival wife and sister of Leah, is quite displeased. She is envious and bitter and lashes out at Jacob. Give me children, or else I die. Now, it is worth noting at the outset that Rachel seems to lack something of the patience and piety of her older sister. She will at times speak of and acknowledge God, but she seems to do so in ways that are often petty and vindictive. We even find out later down the road that Rachel will steal from her father and not just steal anything. She will steal his idols. Now, why would she want idols if she's supposed to be part of the household of God? But at any rate, Rachel is jealous and embittered that Leah has children and she does not. It was not enough that she actually had her husband's love and affection, which Leah did not. She desires to dominate over her sister in every way. She even takes to lashing out at Jacob as though this were 
somehow Jacob's doing that she was barren. Jacob rightly acknowledges that this is God's doing and thus beyond his control. So Rachel does what Jacob's grandmother Sarah once did. She gives her maidservant Bilhah to Jacob as a concubine to bear children on Rachel's behalf. Now Jacob should not have wanted to go along with this. There was no particular need or reason to multiply still further wives and concubines, especially when he already had four sons. But he goes along. And so Bilhah bears a son named Dan. And when he is born, Rachel says this, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Now this statement does not ring entirely true. God has made Rachel barren. He could undo this if he wanted. Eventually he will. But Rachel has turned to this desperate tactic. It was Bilhah, not Rachel, who had been given a son. Bilhah conceives and bears another son, this one named Naphtali. Rachel speaks again. With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. Again, this rings kind of hollow. It also shows some of that pettiness and that vindictiveness that I mentioned. Rachel has basically cheated to obtain children. And why this rivalry and pettiness toward Leah? Again, is it not enough that Leah is unloved, that Rachel must overcome and dominate her here too? And even if that were the goal, if you're keeping score, Leah by this point has four to her too. But it does now seem that Leah starts to feel some of the pressure here. And so this brings us to our third point. After consolation and compromise, we come to corruption in verses 9 through 21. Leah, no longer bearing children on her own, gives Jacob yet another wife, another concubine, her servant Zilpah. Now again, Jacob should not have gone along with this. He had no good reason to, but he does. So Zilpah bears first Gad, and Leah says there, a troop comes. Now again, note that when Rachel names her son, so far she's done so in bitterness and rivalry, but Leah doesn't. Here she goes with a rather generic name. A troop comes, an army comes. You know, a good enough thing to say at the birth of a male son. Zilpah bears again, and Leah names this one Asher, for she is happy. But then starting in verse 14 of chapter 30, we get a snapshot of history that shows us just how difficult this situation in the family has become. We read that Reuben was working in the field one day during the wheat harvest, and he found some mandrakes. So mandrakes were a plant. They bore flowers and fruits. And it was thought in that day that they would increase female fertility. This was a superstitious belief, perhaps even a pagan belief. There was no substance to the claim. But Reuben, being the nice, dutiful son he was, he found these mandrakes. He brought them as a gift to his mother. Well, Rachel sees them and wants them. Perhaps she buys into that superstition about them, that they will help her to have children of her own. 
But then we see in Leah's reaction to this that she is not herself entirely immune to this envy and bitterness. It was as though Rachel asking for these mandrakes was a last straw for her. It seems at this point that even after many years and many children, Jacob continues to neglect Leah and not love her. Jacob still clearly favors Rachel. And to add insult to injury, her son brings her a gift, and Rachel wants to take even that. And so Leah lashes out. But then Rachel makes a rather twisted counteroffer. She gets the mandrakes. Leah gets the night with Jacob. How bad are things when the husband's love is essentially bought and bartered? Jacob doesn't seem to mind. Once again, he seems to just play along. So Jacob lies with Leah once again, and she conceives and bears a son named Issachar. Her statement this time is, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. It is true that she essentially bartered to hire Jacob and received her wages, I guess, but she seems to have some misplaced confidence that this had something to do with giving him Zilpah, which in fact never needed to happen. Now let's just take a step back here for a moment and Notice how completely skewed and broken and dysfunctional and disordered this situation is. We have wives basically bartering between themselves for their husband's love. We have the multiplying of concubines. We have the multiplying of sons who are going to, along the lines of who their mothers are, develop bitterness and rivalry between them. It's going to shape much of the rest of the book of Genesis. Is this not a screaming, shouting testament that God's way is better? In situations where the marriage bed is honored, where God's created purposes are honored and upheld, when marriage between one man and one woman for life is practiced, none of this would have been an issue. But here we are. Sin spirals out of control. It destroys people. It destroys families. It makes things broken and ugly. But God is still working. Again, each of these sons will be a tribe. Each of these sons will constitute a portion of God's chosen and blessed people. The situation looks pretty dark now, and it's going to get worse. But it will ultimately serve his people's good and God's own glory. Leah continues to bear sons for Jacob. The sixth is Zebulun. Note in Leah's statement this time that she still believes somehow that Jacob will love her and dwell with her because she's born these six sons. It's not going to happen. This, by the way, is half of Jacob's total sons. He'll have 12 in all, and six of them are Leah's. And yet it still doesn't seem that Jacob comes around. We then get a break in the story, the news of the birth of a daughter, Dinah. Now, Dinah's story will be told later. It, too, will be tragic and awful, but her birth is recorded here for now. 
So Leah has borne Jacob seven recorded children to the four of everyone else. But what about Rachel? So far she has none. And this brings us to our final point. After the consolation, compromise, and corruption, we come to comfort in verses 22 through 24. We see that God remembered Rachel. Rachel has not always demonstrated piety or good conduct or faith in God by the things she has said or done in this passage. We also must recognize that she was in a difficult situation of her own. She wasn't able to have children, and having children was very important. We read that God listens to her, so she had been praying, she had been asking for this, and God opens her womb. Despite her sin and jealousy and resentment, God shows her grace. God shows her blessing. And finally, after the birth of ten other sons to Jacob by other women, she is able to conceive and bear one of her own. And his name is Joseph. Now, Joseph, of course, will be very important in the rest of the book of Genesis. As these brothers become resentful and turn on each other, as Jacob plays favorites among them, Joseph's brothers will hate him and plot against him, eventually even sell him into slavery. But as I said before, and say again, God is still working. This Joseph will be the very means by which God saves and preserves all his people. We also see in Rachel's words at Joseph's birth a much more pious and hopeful statement than those she offered before. The Lord shall add to me another son. Of course, these are also, though not intended to be something of ominous and prophetic words. She will have another son eventually, but it will come at the cost of her life. But that will come later. That will come after they leave Laban. So we have, after a lot of familial developments, many of them sinful, negative, problematic, we now have in place most of the chosen family of God that will take us through the rest of the book of Genesis. We have Jacob with his two wives and his two concubines and all the problems that having all of these women causes. Between them all, we have 11 of the 12 sons that Jacob will have. And in them, the seeds are sown for all the conflict and rivalry that will later come. If you looked at this family, like, say this was a family you actually knew, say they lived down the street from you, you would think, what a mess. These are not particularly godly people. They don't seem like particularly good people based on everything that's going on. They have all these problems, all this sin, all this chaos and disorder. And yet it was this family at the time, even this family alone on all the face of the earth on which God had chosen to set his name. God chose Abraham and Isaac, and God chose Jacob even as Jacob has been very far from a good and righteous man for most of the time we've known him in this book. What does this tell us? 
God saves sinners. God uses sinners. God helps and hears and heals sinners. Now that is, of course, because sinners are the only kind of people that there are. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe our sins are not so loud or public. Maybe in our eyes, our sins don't run as deep as those we see recorded even here on the pages of Scripture. But make no mistake, we are sinners, and our sins are enough to condemn us to death and hell. But God saves sinners. I mentioned earlier Judah, who would be the father of the kings. But long after, there were no more kings in Israel. Another was born of Judah's line. So he would be miraculously born of a virgin. And he never sinned. He lived the perfect life no one else ever did. He did this because he was the Son of God, God incarnate in the flesh, who came down to earth to save sinners like us. He died a brutal, horrible criminal's death to satisfy the wrath of God that our sins deserved. And those who by faith repent of their sins and trust in Christ can have forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. We can't save ourselves. We're all just as bad as Jacob and his family, if we're honest. God saves sinners. Has he saved you? And finally, as we prepare to take the sacrament of Christ's body and blood, today we see the reality, the fulfillment, what all of this that we have seen in Genesis is pointing us to. This passage today is a grave reminder of sin and how it destroys things and destroys people and destroys families. And yet we see in this one family and its sons the future hope that will come. From Judah, from the fourth son of the unloved wife Leah, will come a lion, a lord, a savior who will save his people from their sins. Who was even the salvation of Jacob and his wives and his sons from all of their sins. So may we come to the table of the Lord today knowing that we come with empty hands, but knowing that Christ the seed and purpose and fulfillment of the family of Israel is for us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, even as it tells us many challenging and difficult things about your people, about where we have come from, about the family from which the hope of the world would come. And yet, even as we see their sin and as we see their struggles, we recognize that we see this because we see your grace to sinners. We are no better than these people. We are just as worthy of wrath and condemnation of them. And yet in Christ, you have provided salvation even for us. I pray that as we gather around his table You'd prepare our hearts and minds to receive it and to know this grace that we have and to know the hope that we have in Christ, the reality of what this supper points us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church. 
in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information, you can visit our website, hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com.